Well, it's great to be here this morning with our brothers and sisters in Christ and have an opportunity to worship God and encourage one another. Uh, that is what this is all about. We have been for the last several weeks in the book of Hebrews and will continue to be for the next several weeks. Uh, looking at that letter that was written to encourage people. Because we live in a world of discouragement. It is very easily easy to become discouraged by what we read, what we see, what we watch, by what people say to us and about us. And so we need together as God's people to spend as much time encouraging one another as possible. Building each other up. I believe that is the reason that God created the church to begin with. The church was not a second thought on God's part. It was not something that, yeah, well, now what am I going to do with all these people? You know, I'll tell you what, I think I'll create the... No, it was part of his design to have a place where his people would be together as a family, as a body, as build our stones in a building to encourage one another. And Hebrews was written to a group of people, many of whom were on the verge of giving up for whatever reason. They were on the verge of giving up and going back to their old traditional way of life, which for them was Judaism. We said, probably not going to happen to any of us. We're not going to go back to our Jewish ways of life. I don't think anybody in here is going to go back to uh, offering sacrifices or going to the temple to worship or any of those kinds of things. But we might be tempted to go back to our old way of life. We might be tempted to go back to what we were comfortable with, which is what made us feel different or what we think makes us, makes us feel better. And so the writer here encourages his readers, do not give up. Whatever you do, do not give up. Do not quit. Because what you have in Christ is so much better. Well, isn't that true for us? What we have in Christ is so much better than what we had in the world. What we have in Christ is so much better than what the world has to offer. And so we encourage one another. And we've used as our theme verse, chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Where it says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We come, we have come to share in Christ if we hold firm to the end the confidence we had at first. Encourage one another. Daily, he says. As long as it is called today. Now we have, for the last several weeks, been in chapter 10. Verses 19 through 25. And I mentioned to you before we went there that there are 13 let us statements in the letter to the Hebrews. Five of them are found in this short section. I told you that if you somebody were to ask you what is the, the theme, what is the gist of Hebrews, what, what, what is the outline of Hebrews, this is it. If you wanted to sum it all up, You'd find it here in chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, which reads, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, 
Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. I'm going to stop there. We haven't done this. That's, that's point number one of all of Hebrews. We got it so much better. We have it so much better. Now, verse 23. And let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Point number two, don't give up. Hold unswervingly. Verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Point number three, encourage one another. Now we've looked at drawing near to God. We've looked at holding unswervingly to the hope that we've had. We've looked at considering how we can spur one another on to love and good deeds. And so that brings us today to chapter 10 and verse 25, which says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Now, I could not find on Google a background that just had that part of the verse. It all had the rest of it, which says, but let us encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. That's for next week. Okay. This week is the first part of that. But let us not, but let us not give up. Thank you. I knew it was there. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. I got a little confused. Because like many of you my age are older, we memorize this out of the King James, which says not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. If you are my age or older and you grew up in the church, you heard umpteen sermons on not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. Do not forsake the assembly. Do not forsake the assembly. I heard many a sermon on that. But I don't ever remember. And that's not to say that it didn't happen. But I don't ever remember a sermon on not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together in context of either the book of Hebrews in general or this particular section. Of Hebrews. All I remember, and I'm not saying that that's what all the preachers did who ever preached on not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. All I remember was that one particular verse being used and then going off from there in a multitude of directions, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But I hope, I hope that we are, did somebody fix this? No, I hope that we are wise enough and mature enough as we have studied through the book of Hebrews to come to this verse and say, oh, now I get it. 
Now I understand really why meeting together is so important. And so this morning, that's kind of going to be how we look at this verse. But we'll get there in in just a second. But the first thing I wanted us to think about is a question. When do we meet together? When do we meet together? The early church in Acts chapter 2. Immediately after the church is established the day of Pentecost. It says that they met together daily. They met together every day. In the temple courts and in each other's houses. And they encouraged one another. And they broke bread and they had fellowship. And they, they did all of this, you know. And the Lord added to their church daily those who were being saved. Now, that was, I believe, a specific phenomenon that occurred right after the day of Pentecost. As the church was just beginning, was just in its infancy stage. You can imagine having having been a Jew all your life and all of a sudden on the day of Pentecost, you were convicted what, by what Peter said. You had killed the son of God. You needed to repent. You needed to be baptized. And 3,000 of them, men, 3,000 men, not to include women. And now all of a sudden it's like, what now? (laughs) What now? Many of them would have been immediately disowned by their families. Many of them would have been immediately barred from uh, their local trade guilds and things like that. Many of them had traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover and for Pentecost and didn't want to go home. I want to figure this all out before I go home. I want to understand more before I go home. And so a lot was going on there. Now, as we progress and move through the New Testament, I think we find evidence that the church met together a lot. But there was one specific time that was special, that was set aside from all the other times that they may or may not have met together. And that was on the first day of the week. Look at John chapter 20 and verse 19. Now we're going to piece all this together. We have some scriptural reference and some historical reference. Reference. But in John chapter 20 and verse 19, that's the day Jesus rose from the dead. And he appeared to a few people, you remember that? Now it's that evening. So it's the first day of the week still, right? Verse 19, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews... Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. So he had appeared to a few here. He'd appeared to a few there. But he waited until they were all together that night on the first day of the week to appear to all of them in mass. Except Thomas wasn't there. I don't know why Thomas wasn't there. I don't know if he was running late. Nobody would run late to church service, would they? Okay. 
uh, I don't know, you know, what, what had happened, but Thomas wasn't there. Jesus leaves, Thomas shows up. And they said, we saw Jesus. Jesus was right here. He was raised from the dead. Thomas said, I don't believe y'all. I don't believe it. I won't believe it until I can touch the scars on his hands and his side. Let me ask you something. Could Jesus not have returned right then? Could Jesus not have returned as soon as Thomas got back? Could Jesus have not found another time to have appeared to Thomas? Sure. But in chapter 20 and verse 26, it says, a week later, a week later, in other words, the following Sunday, the following first day of the week, the disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them. And Jesus appeared to them. Two weeks in a row. That Jesus appears to his disciples on the first day of the week. We're beginning to see a little significance. Perhaps. Maybe you don't yet. But hang with me. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. This is the day of Pentecost. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And you may say to yourself, what's that got to do with anything? Well, what it got to do with anything is, Pentecost was on Sunday. Pentecost was 50 days after the Sabbath, 50 days after the Passover. Which would put it on the first day of the week. And lo and behold, the first day of the week, guess what? The disciples were all together in one place. And the Holy Spirit comes on them. And Peter preaches that first sermon. And 3,000 men were baptized. In Acts chapter 20, if you have your Bibles and you're following along, we know chapter 20 and verse 7. That's another one of those, those verses we've heard all our lives. But in, in uh, Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, it says, I'll go ahead and read the one we all know. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people and because he intended to leave the next day, kept talking until midnight. We'll get to talking until midnight in just a minute. But I want us to go back to verse 6. Most of you have a little chapter heading between verse 6 and 7. You know, that kind of says these two verses don't have anything to do with each other. They do. Look at verse 6. But we sailed from Philippi after the feast of unleavened bread, and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. On the first day of the week, we came together to break Why did Paul and his companions stay seven days at Troas? I believe it was so that he could meet and worship with the church there on the first day of the week. Because he's leaving the next day. That's what verse 7 said. He's leaving the next day. 
But he wanted to be there so that he could worship with the church that he knew would be worshiping on the first day of the week. I understand where that comes from. A few, I don't know if it was the first, the second or third time that we went to Brazil to visit Mark and Jew and the churches down there. And I don't remember the reason why, but for some reason, the way that it worked out, we were only there for one Sunday. And we left before the second Sunday. And I said to myself after that time, we will never do that again. If we are going to spend all that money, if we're going to take all that time, if we're going to put all the effort and resources and all that into going down there, we are going to spend at least two Sundays worshiping with our brothers and sisters in Christ. I think that's exactly what Paul was doing in Acts chapter 20. Why didn't he wait five days? Why didn't he wait four days? Why didn't he wait six days? He waited seven days because he knew that would be the day when the church would be meeting together. First Corinthians chapter 16 and verse one, verse two, Paul tells the people there to lay by in store on the first day of the week so that no collection will be made, have to be made when he came. There's an assumption there, isn't there? He assumes that they would be together meeting on the first day of the week. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10, it says that John was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Most biblical scholars agree that that means he's talking about Sunday. The day of Christian worship. We have some, this may be more than you want, but I think it's important. Why do we meet on Sundays? Well, we see that from the scripture. We also have it from history. About 110 AD, 112 AD, there was a Roman governor by the name of Pliny. Isn't that an interesting name? Pliny. And he was a little unsure of himself. Because there was this kind of Roman edict that said, you know, if you found any Christians, you kill them. You execute them. So people have been turning Christians in right and left. And, and so Pliny had been interrogating these Christians. And he really couldn't find any reason for executing them. So he's sending it up the ladder. He writes a letter to the emperor, Trajan. And he says, Trajan, you know, what am I supposed to do? I mean, am I really supposed to execute these people? And in that letter, what he does is, is he explains what he found out from the Christians when he interrogated them. And I'm going to read between the lines a little bit. But what he says is, you know, (laughs) the most I can see that they're doing is that on the first day of the week, they all meet together. They pray to their God. They sing a hymn. One of the people speaks to them and challenges them to not commit adultery, not commit robbery, not to lie. And then some wine and bread is brought and they partake of it. 
And then a collection is made so that those who have can share with those who don't have. And it can be dispersed to the needy. And then they have another prayer. And they dismiss. Committing themselves to doing the things that they have been challenged to do. Wow. And it's interesting that Trajan... This is not part of the lesson. This is free. So time out on the time thing. All right. Trajan writes Pliny back and basically says, implement a no ask, no tell policy. Do not go out searching for Christians to execute. But if they're open about it, And if they admit to it, execute them. If they won't, recant. Now, like I said, that has nothing to do with anything. But about 50 years later in 150 AD, 153, a Christian apologist by the name of Justin Martyr, he is explaining to the world what this Christian thing is all about. And he describes their worship service. They're coming together on the first day of the week, he says, because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. That's the day that the Spirit appeared on Pentecost. That is the day that we have from the very beginning worshiped as a Christian people on the first day of the week. And you know what? In a nutshell, he describes... The worship service, just like Pliny did. We meet together. We pray. We sing a hymn. The president gets up and speaks from God's word or, and, and challenges us. We partake of the fellowship, the Lord's Supper. We encourage each other. We give of our means. And we disperse. Now, I'm sure there were a lot of other things that happened in between all that stuff. Just like here, things happen. But isn't it kind of, I think it's encouraging to know that we worship in the exact same manner that the early Christians worshiped. Oh, we got song books and we got Bibles and we got microphones and we've got, you know, communion cups and trays and, and things like that. But when you break it down to the bare bones, we do the same thing at the same time. While we may meet together at other times, Wednesday Bible classes, Tuesday night for the master, ladies Bible classes, retreats, devotionals, fellowship activities, there is something special and unique about our meeting together on the first day of the week. It's different than all the other times that we meet together. And we ought to hold it as important. So that brings us to number two, which we've kind of already alluded to a little bit. Why do we meet together? Why do we meet together? We talked about when, first day of the week. Why do we meet together? And as Johnny already stole half of this point, not that you're going to get it back, but I believe that the primary reason 
that we meet together on the first day of the week is to partake of the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I'm not going to read that, that whole thing, but you can go over there. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is chastising, rebuking the church at Corinth because of the way that their worship had turned into something awful. In fact, he said, it does, your worship together, your assembly does more harm than good. Ooh, wow. He said, because when you come together, it's not to partake of the Lord's Supper. Because you leave people out. You combine it with this fellowship meal, but it's not really a fellowship meal, like a potluck meal like we have. Don't you love our potluck meals? I love potluck meals. Because I get to eat a little bit of everybody's. Skip the salads and the vegetables. I would not like if our fellowship meal was you take your casserole you made and you go sit off in your corner and you eat it by yourself. I want some of that casserole. I love my wife's cooking. Love it. But sometimes I like what y'all cook. I want some of that. Some of you, if you had to only eat what you brought, you'd be lucky to have a bologna sandwich. Which is nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with a bologna sandwich. But not while somebody else is over there having prime rib and a baked potato. And Paul says, that's what's going on, you people at Corinth. What should be happening is you ought to be remembering what Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed. About the bread and the fruit of the vine. When you come together, that's the reason that you come together. And I think he's talking specifically about that first day of the week, worship time. When you come together, you come together to participate in the Lord's Supper. I've said before, I think it would be more appropriate to have the communion table up here and the pulpit down there. It may be more appropriate. It wouldn't be more convenient. Because our guys don't want to necessarily have to walk up and down all these stairs. Especially if somebody breaks the rail. But that is the reason that we come together. It's a fellowship. It's us together. Again, this is free. Won't cost you a thing. That's why I like the way we do the Lord's Supper on Sunday nights. I've been to a lot of places, you have too, where at the end of the service on Sunday nights, they will say, those who were not able to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning, if you will get up and go out, there's a special room prepared for you back here, and it'll be served to you. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But when we commune together, it is a fellowship. And I like the fact that even though I may have already partook this morning. And I may not feel the need to do it again tonight. I can participate with those who do. I can feel as if I am a part of it. 
That's why we meet together. We also meet together to hear God's word. It does say in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7 that Paul preached until midnight. Aren't you lucky? Yeah. So if I go to 11.35 or 11.45 or 11.55, you're still lucky. But hearing the word of God is important. And I'm not saying this as the preacher. I'm saying this as a, a, a member. Hearing the word of God is important. Think about the situation that they were in. They didn't have. The Bible like we have the Bible. They needed to be told. They were coming out of a. Many of them. The, the, especially the, the Gentile. Were coming out of a pagan world. In which what God is asking them to do. And change their lives. Is totally different than what they've ever done before. And so they need to be instructed in that. And in our society today. And in our culture today, it is becoming increasingly more important that we be reminded and told what God says in his word. There was a time when everybody knew what the Bible says. There was a time when everybody in society did what the Bible says. Well, they believed in the Bible and not because that's just what was morally right. That's not these times. We've got young Christians. Now, for those of us like me, if you're like me, it's hard to grasp this. But we have young Christians, and I don't mean young in age, I mean young in maturity, Christian maturity. We have young Christians who are coming out of the world who don't have a clue to what the Bible says as far as what is right and wrong. And us old people, we're going, what? Come on, everybody knows. No, uh-uh, uh-uh. They need to be taught. They need to be taught what God says. And we need to hear it. We need to hear the word of God. We sing. I love those verses in Ephesians and Colossians. Talk about how that we, if I were to ask you, and you've heard me say this before, so you're cheating. But if we were just out on the street somewhere sometime and you never listened to a word I said, which, you know, maybe anyway. And I would ask you, you know, when we're in worship and we sing, who are we singing to? God. Right? Of course. We're singing praises to God. Praises to his glory. Well, that's only half right. Because Ephesians and Colossians clearly tell us that when we sing, we speak to one another. We speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So while I am praising God, I'm speaking to you. I'm encouraging you. Well, what does that mean? Uh, First of all, it kind of means that I ought to be thinking about what I'm singing. If I'm going to be speaking to you through what I sing, I ought to know what it is I'm singing. I ought to be thinking about it. I don't know about you, but I love hearing us sing. I love it. 
And I don't care that it's four-part harmony and it's beautiful and all of that kind of stuff. I really don't care about all that stuff. It's nice. It's aesthetic to my ears. I don't know. Can I say that? Okay. You know? But it's the words. It's the words. The years I was away from youth ministry, that's the one thing I missed the most was young people singing. I love it. Because they speak to me. And we speak to one another. We partake in the Lord's Supper. We listen to God's word. We sing to one another. We pray for each other. And we do take up the collection for the work of the church. Now real quickly, because I'm not going to go to midnight. Noon maybe, but not midnight. Yeah. What do we get out of meeting together? Remember the context. It is in meeting together that we encourage one another to draw near to God. It's in meeting together that we encourage one another to hold unswervingly to the hope that we have. It's in meeting together with one another that we... What's the third one? Spur one another on. Thank you. Yeah, my favorite one. Okay, yeah. That we spur one another on. It's in meeting together that we do those things. And at the very basic, you've heard me say this before, you can't do that if you're not here. You can't encourage me if you're not here. You know, it's this morning in our high school class. Chris, where's Chris? Is Chris here? Did Chris leave? Chris? Chris Mays? Not here? Uh, Did y'all only have two? Yeah. Okay. This morning, in our junior high, in the junior high class, we had two kids. In the high school class, we had four. Okay? Now, was it a good class? Shut up. Set myself up for that one. We had a good class. We had a good discussion. It was really, you know, it was good, good to be together. But did it feel like something was missing? Yeah. Yeah. Being there is important. Being here is important. Just showing up is important. This, I thought this was very interesting. Not an Alabama fan, just so you know. Not a Nick Saban fan, just so you know. But I thought it was interesting that last week, Nick Saban, coach of Alabama, chastised the student body for not showing up to the football games. He said he looked up, and the student body section was half filled or something. I don't remember exactly what he said. And I thought to myself, are you kidding me? This is Alabama. This is Nick Saban. Five national championships in the last however many years. I don't know what it is. You know? They got all this fun. 
And he's worried about the fact that there's some empty seats up on the third deck. Yeah. Because even as great as Alabama is, he understood the importance of that encouragement from those that were there. You see, worship is not all about what we get out of it. That's our first mistake. Is thinking that worship is all about what I get out of it. Worship is all about what I put into it. What I put into encouraging my brothers and sisters in Christ. What I put into praising and worshiping God. It's all about what I put into it. How many of us took classes, whether it was high school or college, where the professor and the teacher started off, you will get out of this what you put into it. That is so true when it comes to worship. We will get out of it what we put into it. So yes, he does say, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as some are in the manner of doing Give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Why? So God can take attendance? So God can take role? So we can check it off? Did that? No. So we can encourage one another to draw near to God, to hold unswervingly, to spur one another on so we meet together. If you're here this morning, there's some way we can help or encourage you. We invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2888. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.